I'm Dana, and this is David, and up next, we're very excited. Our guest is Tim Meadows. Enjoy. David, whether you have a few weeks old puppy or a senior who's seen multiple decades, any dog person like me knows the most valuable thing in the world is spending time with your pet. Yep. The farmer's dog makes it easy to keep them healthy, which can give you more quality years with your lovely dog. Yeah, well, I've heard Farmer's Dog makes and delivers fresh, healthy dog food. And, you know, that's what everyone's looking for. It's recommended by vets, nutritionally balanced. Uh, it's made from human-grade ingredients, safe, clean kitchens. All that stuff matters. Yeah. I mean, you love your dog. Why, why get the lousy food for your dog? Farmer's Dog is the best. Traditional dry and wet dog food options are extremely processed. Sometimes dogs... much lower quality. Yeah. <laughs> you, you put it in their bowl and they go, what is this kibble? And they knock it away. What is this canned goo? Oh, yeah. I've had our dog, yeah, look at the bowl yeah. and then kind of crank its neck up and look at me. And it was like, really? They go, really? Why don't you go first? You want a bite of this? Slop. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes that sound. Here you go, dog. Mm -hmm. like, so Farmer's Dog isn't just no. higher quality food. They also send the food pre-portioned specifically for your dog based on their unique nutritional needs. It makes it easy to help your dog reach and stay at their ideal weight, David. And which is one of the biggest indicators of a full, healthy life. A fresh diet has been found to have all sorts of benefits, David, from healthier coat mm -hmm. and skin, better breath, if you want to kiss your dog, and even easier digestion and smaller and better poops. Let's look at a clip. It doesn't <laughs> matter if your dog's young or old, it's always the right time to invest in their health for more happy years with your dog. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash fly. Let the farmer's dog know we sent you. Use your code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box. Tim Meadows. Everyone loves Dana. Tim Meadows. Tim Meadows is an old buddy. I just immediately interrupted you. Tim Meadows is an old buddy of both of ours. He did Yeah, yeah he really is. I interrupted back. Tim Meadows... <laughs> <laughs> It's like tennis. Go ahead. No. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to zip okay. my trap. He's a great guy. Good looking. That matters in show business, unfortunately. And he has done a ton. He's got to be rich because he's always working at all times on many things. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew him. We had a great time during SNL. We talked about that. You know, he and I bought a... Um, motorcycle i bought a motorcycle that was chris farley's recently online and i didn't know who i'm bidding against but i finally bought it and then i got a text from tim saying dude you just outbid me so we're online bidding against the world i just thought farley's old harley from chicago i remember this shoot i'd like to have i'd be cool to just have my living room or you know whatever i just and then he goes hey i don't have anything at chris's and i said oh i was bidding against you and he said, can I have it? And I said, I, I mean, I said, just pay me what I pay. You can have it because he doesn't have anything of Chris's and he's from Chicago. And they were really, really tight. Also, Dana, the Oscars. Yes. Now, we discussed the Oscars a little bit last week. But before Tim is on, we have to say that we taped him a little bit before the Oscars. So if he doesn't comment on it, that's not his fault. It's just that's the way it shook out. Right. So don't be at home going, shut up, Brian. I'm just going to comment on it. Just keep listening. Don't let me comment. Let me comment. Also, Dana, what would you have done? Just be honest. Well, you know, I mean, Ed O'Neill, who will be on our podcast soon, said you just always take the big man off his feet. So I would have just 
aimed for beneath the knees and just mm-hmm. got the person off the feet. Yeah, you know, get them I on think, their back. I think I'd be if it's Will Smith. He's that big. I go. The first one's a freebie, and then he walks back up the stairs, and I go, and he hits me again. I go. The second one, I'm gonna, I'm willing to look the other way. <laughs> and then toward the end of the Oscars, he's still beating me up. I go on the fifth one. But I think what Chris should have done when he's coming up the stairs, that's when you make your move because you've got the upper hand. Like, have you ever seen fights at stadiums? The guy in the upper seats always wins because he's got the weight coming down on the guy. So I think right. that's the way you got to do I it. I would have channeled the deer hunter that if he slapped me, I would, Mao, Mao, Mao. You thought I would have said, please may I have another? I just would have said, ow, ow. But I'm such a colossal <laughs> pussy. Like, I just tried to picture that scenario, Dana. I was like, I'm picturing, let's say I'm at the Razzies one day and I'm right. hosting. And then Corey Feldman walks up. Corey Feldman. And do I knock the fedora off his head? I mean, what do I do? I, I'm just playing this a million times in my head. Maybe comedians <laughs> should take a beating. You know, where life beats us down. Maybe just yeah. see Martin's joke doesn't land. Whack. Get around. Yeah. yeah, choke him out. <laughs> Go put him in a sleeper. Put him in a sleeper. I don't know. Yeah. By it's the way, Dana, I will tell you. It's different from last week's talk about it. <laughs> I know. We just, you know, we can't talk about it forever. Will Smith, to me, nice enough guy. And I think when you have a an image that you have to guard, when you're getting to the stratosphere of stardom, uh, The Rock, Brady, Tom Brady, Will Smith, like everything isn't overly calculated, but everyone's telling you, say the right thing here, do the right thing. You know what I mean? They kind of have to... Play to the world now. Like, I have to keep everyone happy and be this big star. And when you deviate from that in such a huge way, it because people, I think, in this day and age, especially the last couple of years, really appreciate authenticity and sort of celebrities and behind the scenes. And are you being, are you like a real person? And when you come out like that and do something so out of the blue, out of character, you almost question everything and you go, wait, what is going on here? I think that's, I think it's tough for Will Smith. I don't think he's a horrible guy. This thing happened. I'm not a canceler. I'm not that kind of guy. So I would just say it, it'll it'll fix itself at some point between him and Rock. But uh, that's all. I have no more opinions. <laughs> What's well, like Vin Is Diesel? Is that his opinion? I don't know. In the Fast and the Furious, you know, where they're going across the canyon with the car upside down, and the passenger mm-hmm. goes, "Was this the plan?" He goes, "This was always the plan." And you just wonder <laughs> when when yeah. Will was getting out of the limo. The limo driver is pretty familiar. Hey, have a good night tonight. You know, don't punch anyone on the stage. <laughs> I mean, somebody snapped, yeah. and you can always tell when somebody snapped. That means it's not the plan. Just like yeah, boom. it was not the plan. Whatever was buried underneath went yo. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, listen, Chris is one of our one of my best friends, and you love him, and uh, so we'll stay out of it. But, love Chris. Uh, I guess we're already in it. But I will tell you, I went to an Oscar party just to lighten the yeah, uh, lighten it up a little bit before we get to Timmy. And uh, I the, the funny thing, Dana, is there's a Vanity Fair party, and the 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 interesting thing is you have you get told if you're going, and then you get told if you have a plus one, and when you get to go. That's always, you're always measured in Hollywood of how you're doing. It's mm. so crazy. I didn't even notice it because I had gone a few times and I was going with Rock probably or someone that had an invite. So I didn't need to bring anyone. And then I was informed, oh, I don't have a plus one. I go, that's such an odd thing to get an invite to go somewhere alone. And then the <laughs> next year I was invited at midnight because you get slots really? every half hour. Wow. So I got midnight and no plus one. I must have had a horrible year. Uh, because 
it's too thirsty to try to stay awake and set your alarm and then go at midnight. Hey, everyone, you're like a Sam and everyone's pouring out to go to Guy Series <laughs> party after. And you're like, no, I'm here. So I got this year, I got 930 and a plus one, which is pretty good. But there's some years I said, oh, maybe I'll try to go to the Vanity Fair. And they go, we tried. And I'm like, oh, gross. You have to ask. And they're like, yeah, it's just so crazy this year. I go, oh, I can't even go. They go, yeah, it's so bad, dude. I know. My invite said drop by next week. <laughs> Yours said you can drive by and beep if you go really fast. <laughs> no, when I went to the Oscars pre-pandemic with Mike Myers, they oh, right. after, we, we went to the Oscars, presented. We were at the Oscar party, and they said, we're going to the Vanity Fair party. I didn't have an invite. So I wasn't going right. to go over there and go, could I get in? You know. Oh, you didn't even go. You could have gone. Why, no, what am I going to do? Do Garth? I'll do Garth to get in. <laughs> could I? They're I'd like, like to get they, in They now. go, uh. There's no Dana Carvey, and then you mess up your hair and slowly turn and go, is there a Garth? <laughs> no, it's like from the, from the movie, oh. I'd like to get by now, and I'd have a little amateur stun gun for Wayne's World fence. I'd like to, excuse me, <laughs> I'd like to get by now, and then I would just shock the guy. Yeah, we went to, and then we went to a party after. I was with Theo Vaughn, the comedian, and I brought that goat roper with me. And then we went to a guy who's serious. That's where Rock was, so we saw him. We saw a bunch of people. He's just sitting on a patio with like, Jennifer Lawrence, Woody Harrelson, who's super cool. And so we just went out there and bullshit with him. But he, he seemed all right. I don't want to talk too much about that. But I, I think Rock is going to be on, fine, land on his feet. And uh, I would imagine he would want this just to blow over. Because you don't want people to think one thing. When you're doing stand-up, you just want to do your act. And you don't want yeah, him to yeah. keep yelling out something, no. you know, or trying to get you. Because there's really not that much funny to say about it. And it, it almost gets too serious. So it's better to just buzz through your jokes what we've learned uh in recent times as a society is that stories go ballistic and then they fade away all of a sudden it'll just be behind us and yeah. just wait for that time you know yeah i mean i all i right. have to say i watched the grammys last night and it was everything yeah. the oscars the oscars had great hosts and chris was great but obviously it had that debacle but the grammys was amazing like the yeah. mu all the music was brilliant. I mean, I, it really you know, was one impressive. funny thing. And this is not taking away from Trevor Noah because he's a cool dude. I saw him actually there mm -hmm. the other night. He uh, he's hosting, but what do you do? You're the next guy to host. So the jokes are kind of tepid, only because you don't want to cause a national, worldwide ruckus. So he's like, "Hey, Billy Eilish." Is Eilish really your last name? No, it probably is. Actually, it's a really good name. It fits you, and you're a great singer, and everything's going well. Anyway, let's look at this table. I'm like. Are these jokes? I think he's just giving compliments because you can't do a joke anymore. You know what I mean? He's probably so scared that someone's going to get offended on Twitter with their fingers up going, you say the wrong thing, dude, and we're going to dig 19 yeah. years in your past. I, I laughed my ass off. I was at home. He said, hey, folks, how you doing? I don't know what the way he said it or something. I was like, that yeah. is funny. What's yeah, up? Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, let's get on to Tim. Uh, great dude, This Timmy. is longer than Tim's episode, so I think Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. We don't have time for Tim Meadows tonight. <laughs> He's uh, been bumped off his own podcast. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B.
but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash wall to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash wall. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You mean the one where we had a guy do Trump and I did Biden? Yeah. The reason I said yes to that, because I knew I don't have any natural discipline, but I knew if I said yes to that, I would actually look at Biden a little bit and get some hooks. But in the mm-hmm. writing of it, it's it's what I call a hot oven politically, Biden. You don't want to mm-hmm. ding him too much because I had this line of like, do you think there's a crisis at the border? There's no crisis at the border. How do you know? Because <laughs> it says so on the piece of paper. <laughs> who, who gave that to you? The man. Who's the man? The guy. He comes in. You know the drill. Come on. Number one, the guy comes in. Number two, the two part. Number three, come on, people. I love how he gets mad at you because you don't understand what he's saying. But yeah, I did do that. And that was kind of flat because if you're doing an impression and you don't get to do your rhythm, then you're just stuck in jokes and then it deflates the balloon. It has to be a marriage of the rhythm and the... Top of the bump. But, uh, but, you know, with ladies, man, I'd like to jump ahead. No, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I want to know about Let me just say this first. I yes. think the thing that I love about it, though, is that it, it now gives everyone a hook into doing, yeah. uh, to, to doing Biden. Like a normal guy on the street now can do that rhythm and do Biden to his friends. And I think that's, that's huge, you know? That's, yeah. that's a trick. You're right, Timmy. Once you get a hook, then. I would do Lauren based on Dana's Lauren or whoever. I don't. I didn't. And everyone mm-hmm. it spread like locusts. I, I don't think anybody doesn't do Lauren from the history of Saturday Night Live. Basically. I wonder <laughs> if they did it in the old days because once you hear it, it's so funny just to talk like them. It's so funny. From my personal history, but I maybe I misremembered it when I got there in '86. No one was doing it. It seems remarkable. Mm-hmm. Smigel mm-hmm. has a good ear. Yeah. The, the the hook that I finally told Lauren was him on Wednesday at the mm-hmm. board, kind of doing the sketches back and forth, picking the show. And mm-hmm. he would say, I still have no fucking first act. Yeah. And that was. Uh, and then he, he would hold a card that Whitney Brown had written. It was anyone, the, 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 the pig and the goat, anyone? Uh, we, didn't, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't think it was very good, Lauren. I, I thought it was breathtaking. <laughs> Shit, I was but that's not where that, that I got him from that. I still have no fucking first act. And that's where it came from. Yeah. And then I think Smigel yeah. was bouncing off me. And then everybody did it. But, you know, whatever. I don't have to be the originator. I don't have to be well, God. I wonder, I wonder if like the original cast had like a different version of Lauren than what you had. Because you definitely had like the superior you know, mentor Elegant, guy who was in British. charge of it all. And like, I wonder yeah. if he was like that when he first started with those guys, you know, like if their impression is like a quicker, like wittier version of that. I thing. do know that the first year Lauren was like this guys, we got a big show tonight. Let's try to get it going. <laughs> and then by year five, yeah. Lifetime limousine, you know, Paul and I, we sometimes we go, and we just buy socks. <laughs> Really? I mean, he had a car. He had Eugene. He had a driver. I mean, he was an adult. Want to come by 88 for dinner? 
Number 88. <laughs> Never underestimate yeah. the value of lasagna. <laughs> Whatever. But- <laughs> I asked him where I should live, and he goes, I go, my rent's kind of high, like $900. David, I think it's where you live is important. <laughs> he always does your you name pay, <laughs> But I would pay, and I'm like, well, you're not paying me enough to, okay. Um, I'll, yeah. I'll get it. <laughs> I go, well, I have to pay it every month. And he's like, oh, I didn't know. I don't know how that works. My rent was tw- <laughs> what was like twenty twenty two thousand a year, and I think I was probably netting about thirty five yeah. <laughs> for a season. And happy, <laughs> yeah. happy to be there. The exposure yeah. alone. <laughs> um, well, but he, he anyway. No, I was going to say he had told me at one time uh, it's better. He was like, it's better to uh, live in a place you can't afford because it makes you work harder to keep it. <laughs> oh, I didn't hear that one. Oh, yeah, that's funny. Like, that's a good one. That's pretty. I'll do yeah, anything to keep nice. these countertops. I will not let go of this <laughs> fucking marble. I will do another show called Tina. Marcy, the book of Lorne, page three. What do I say here? I don't know, Lauren. I'm going to fly now. You don't fly, Marcy. Stop it. <laughs> so you guys get me going. Tim is a great, uh, you know, audience. Tim is good. <laughs> and a great When comedian. you go into Lauren's office and, and, and I go on the board and I go, and I, I look for my update and I look over to where the cemetery on the left, where it's not in the mm-hmm. show, it's everything that got cut. You wonder if it even got moved. If it was even a debate, yeah. <laughs> it's just exactly in perfect line where it was. And I go, I'm not in the show this week. And then I look over and he goes, Lifesaver? <laughs> or popcorn. Church? I would look at, I had the same experience. I would see church chat in the first act, then a Wayne's World, then Hans and Franz after update. <laughs> no, I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, a, it's an emotionally violent place for the best of us. But I just want to... Yeah. Because we're podcasting, just very quickly explain it to people who don't understand. We go to a read-through in a little room. Well, it's like 50 people. We read sketches for hours. Each sketch gets a three-by-five card with the, the name. It would be Church Lady or- Gap or, Girls, whatever. Ladies or l- would they say Leon Phelps or Leon Phelps? I don't know if ladies man. And then they're on a bolt, giant bulletin board, and then there's these. It's sectioned off: first act, second act, third act. And so then he starts putting them up, and you'd see your sketch go up, and then someone would say something. He'd be pull it away from the wall, and then he place it where the no, the no sketch not getting on the show uh, area. And sometimes people go, "I like David's," and he'd go back over. Anyway, oh, that, yeah. I just want to set that scene you for somebody. Want to fight for it? You want to driving? Put, put your job on the line for. For receptionist. But the one thing I liked about Lorne in retrospect, he was like a coach I had in high school because I think he loves sports metaphors. And so to get a true (laughs) compliment from Lorne was really special. He was not one to pass them out. Dana, is this ever going to work? You know, that'd be after, you know. Yeah. Um, It'd be really nice if it would be like, you know, really, really funny. That would be a good thing. <laughs> I was like Rudy. So you were like Rudy the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just you were not. You became the the bad boys of Saturday. Oh, I thought it. that was funny when I, you I got you it. and Schneider and you were like the bad boys. And the true bad boy of that cast was Tim. Tim. <laughs> I I've I've hung out with Tim a little bit and heard his some of his stories Uh-oh. and there's a street side to Tim 
It's not any ego. It's not braggadocio. It's just some. You just he has a side of him. I don't know if it's Detroit or something, but Tim is can go. Yeah, you will want him on your side in a fight because <laughs> I. <it's, laughs> Tim, were you like in I, on I, going uh, down to beat up the guy from the New Yorker or whatever? Only if someone uh, fucked with him. Tim's not trying to pick a fight, but you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, I grew up in Detroit, so I kind of just don't. I have very low, to, you know, very low tolerance for like when I'm getting bullshit from people. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what what happened. What I told you about Dana, but yeah, I mean, something I, yeah, I, at a baseball game with your son. Maybe it was a professional game. And oh someone, no, a basketball game. Basketball yeah, game and game. Yeah, yeah, we were. We were pulling out of this drop, this uh, parking lot, and it was kind of crowded. Should I tell this story? I don't know. It's not. A I want. Funny story. I want it. This I want to hear. This you is, have this to. This will be fascinating. <laughs> we no, have three no, and a half more hours. Just tell it. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, this is the last. No, I really. Telling. This is great stuff, Tim. I, I well, love. No, it, it. It. I was pulling out of a the, after a Bulls game in this parking lot, and, and, and my son and his friend, we just saw the game, and it was crowded, and we were all trying to move through the. The, the parking lot and then this guy just like would not let me through and, and like i was like oh okay you know whatever you know and then he pulled up next to me and he told my son to roll his window down and my son said he wants me to roll my window down and i was like no don't don't roll your window and then i was like no roll it down and <laughs> so he rolls it down <laughs> and the guy goes uh Hey, you think you're special? You just get to move in and out of here like you want to? We're all trying oh, to get out. No, not, not the right thing to and say. And I go, you. well, first of all, don't you tell my son to roll the fucking window down. And yeah, <laughs> I am special. You can ask anybody in this fucking parking lot. Everybody knows me, motherfucker. And, then he, was, and he was like, yeah, you're special, huh? I was like, yeah. You want to get out of the car? We can get out of this car right now. We can go at it, motherfucker. And my friend, my son and it. his friend. <laughs> We're sitting there just looking at me like, what the fuck is going on? You know, I was I I could not believe this guy was talking to me like that in front of my kids, first yeah. of all. And then second, like he was telling me like he had the right to get out in front of me. Like we're all trying to get out of here, yeah. you know? I and like that. I just I know. He, he, you don't even fight the special part, which he was hoping you would. You go, I don't think I'm special. He goes, yeah, you do. You go, I do think I'm special. He goes, oh. <laughs> He <laughs> yeah. took, took it away from him. He's like the first I day now? I met the first day I met Lovitz, I had almost the exact same verbatim exchange. I was Tim and John was the other. <laughs> Just come on, motherfucker, let's go right now. The reason I like that story is because I avoid conflict. Like we were talking to Chris Rock and he talked about how tiny he was as a in high school. Or so I I, I want like when I was 14. Went to high school. I went. I was out for D basketball, which is like you know there was D C junior varsity varsity. So D, it's not a joke, but our center was five foot three. He controlled the paint. But my point is this: I'm not kidding. <laughs> it was midget basketball. So I was five midget one basketball. I was can't say that little people. I was five one ninety two pounds at age uh -huh. fourteen. Uh huh. And you were were Probably. you big? Probably I was small. I I had my growth spurt, if you call it a growth spurt, like, <laughs> school, like probably in like eleventh grade. I think I got. Yeah. Up to, I went from like five seven to to five ten, or whatever, like in my height. And mm -hmm. then, but when I was a kid, I loved sports and I could play sports well in my neighborhood, like with my friends and shit. 
Like I could play quarterback. I could like, throw. I was good, you know? And then we played little league football and everybody else, it was like grown men showed up to play <laughs> little league football. Like these guys were like six one, fucking two twenty, <laughs> bearded, fourteen year olds. And the coach at one point, I was a scrub, and I accepted the fact I played like defensive back, and I was like I was a scrub, and I accepted the fact that I was a scrub. But one time, the coach they they didn't they ran out of tackling dummies, and then, so they wanted to do, them to <laughs> do real? like a grade around. So you became the tackling around. dummy. He put me in the middle of two other tackling dummies and they ran blocking drills around me. Fuck that. That's how much of a scrub I was, man. Now, when you say scrub in this context, well, I think I know what you mean, but this, what, is, what is a scrub in that context? It means it means like not second string, not third oh, string. Oh, oh, even practice I mean, squad. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. like, you look, you, you get to hang out. Like my, my best friend was a good running back. So, right. It was like, okay, well, he's friends with this dude, so we'll, we won't cut him because he plays hard, and he also let us use him as a practice dummy. So I love, I love flag football, man. I loved – I was a running back, flag football, and I was yeah. really good, believe it or not, last time. And as soon as tackle football came in, it was, forget this. It's over. You know? Forget it. <laughs> I was pretty fast, too, Once pretty much a runner. man. But I'm Spade from Detroit also, but I'm also a colossal pussy. So you just never know. <laughs> I thought I saw you were a Phoenix guy. I, I was born in Bloomfield Hills. Oh. And then uh, that's in Whoa, Detroit, I guess. I didn't know that. For four years. Yeah, it's outside of Detroit. And then I said, let's oh. move it out when I was four. <laughs> And my dad said he had a Get job. Get the wagon in train going. <laughs> Arizona. It was, we were four, six, and eight. And my dad was sort of, you know, here and there, like jumping around. And he goes, We, we, I got a job in Scottsdale. So we all moved to Phoenix. And then he goes, I don't have a job. And then he left. <laughs> and, and then, then he left. And he left my mom. And we're like, I go, later, I said, Can't oh. you just divorce her in Michigan where she has friends? He's like, too easy, too predictable. <laughs> Jeez, he's kind of he's kind of fast on his feet. I see where you got your wit. I mean, and no remorse. Well, we were well in my day. Well, first of all, I had three older brothers beating the shit out of me, plus the dad. So I was pounded night and day, which made me have a lot of anger. Mm -hmm. But it would come out verbally. And in grade school, I got the big kid Steve Lee to be my best friend, and he was my enforcer. And I actually yeah. had a club called the Great Club in fifth grade. Jesus. It had a moniker. What a there weirdo. There were only three. It was Dave Marquez, Steve Lee, and me. And everyone wanted to be in the Great Club. We say, how do we get in the Great Club? I go, you got to be great. That was fifth grade. So, Tim. Stupidest club. I've been asking. I want to, before we get into SNL and, and uh -huh. Groundlings or Second City, I've been curious about, because I want to paint a picture of you in your formative years, I call them. Like from oh, age okay. three or four to 12 and, and influences, the things I'm interested in are movies or theater or music, what mm -hmm. was influencing your, your eventual career choice. And also just for fun, uh, your, if you got a bike that was really special to you or toy that you remember or, you know, so anyway, oh, you don't wow. have to answer. I, you could do it. You could, you could punt on this one or just... Um, no, no, like, no. Did, what was I your mean, first movie that you remember seeing that affected you or TV show? Well, I think, you know, like when I was younger, Jerry Lewis, 
Yeah. And was hysterical to me. And my Nutty professor on to, TV. Yeah. Your yes, cousin Benny? Yeah. Even some of the black and white. Mm-hmm. See, even some of the like black and white stuff that he did, we used to just laugh at, you know? Yeah. But I think like the one movie that like was like influential where it was like, whoa, I like this movie and what these people are doing was Blazing Saddles. Oh, yeah. I saw it. Yeah. And then I, w- I went to visit my brother in college. So I was like probably 16 and he was in Eastern Michigan and he was an usher at this movie theater make- to make money. And so just to give me something to do, he was like, just come hang out and watch this movie. You got to see it. It's really funny. Yeah. And uh, was it a theater, though. It was it was in the theater. Yeah. yeah and I fun. sat there and watched it. All day, I watched it every show. Really, yeah, you know, yeah. Wow. I went with them in like in the morning and stayed until it was over with. I fucking loved it. I I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I know? still think that about it. <laughs> you know, it's like wow. <laughs> and Cleavon Little was the star, yeah. and then I did a sitcom with Mickey Rooney in New York in 1981. My first job, and Cle- Cleavon Little came on as a guest star, and I was mm-hmm. starstruck. But Scatman Carruthers and and, you know, Mickey Rooney probably never saw Blazing Saddles, but I kept wanting to talk to Cleveland about that film. And you kiss his ass. Yeah. I kissed his ass. I was trying to get stuff out of him, see if I could get a job. I tell me if you guys <laughs> laughed at uh, when I went and saw, accidentally, my brother took me to Life of Brian, and I thought it was so funny. And yeah. I, I came out of nowhere. I was like, I didn't really get it. It was mm-hmm. English, but it was still silly and funny. And I started mm-hmm. to get into it going, this one's pretty funny too. And I, I had no expectations. So, you know, the other ones I like, Animal House and all that shit. But when I saw that, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm such an exquisite palate. I understand <laughs> all the European comedies too. And w- what about people on TV? Like, you know, for me, it was seeing, you know, geez, uh, laughing or, or yeah. uh, Flip, Flip right. Wilson or Carol Burnett or the Smothers Brothers. Yeah, yeah. And you guys, in, in bleeding into the 70s, uh, you know, there was Steve Martin going on TV and, uh, you yeah. know, um, just, just this whole counterculture started to happen with Carlin becoming a hippie and prior. Mm-hmm. And there was all that movement in 75 with the beginning of SNL. Full circles. Yeah. See, I did that. I thought oh. they were just talking about stuff. I bring it right back. But so what do you, what, what were you? Go to like into a commercial or something like you know, for like, I don't even uh, know if we have like commercials. We're going to have so many ads. What? We have to have special ad- special things where Dave and I go into a chamber and just read for hours. <laughs> no, it's all do Dollar is- Shave and Manscaped. Those are our only two sponsors. Whenever Dollar Shave uh, and Manscaped. Timmy gets into a good um, story, we go into a split screen and we do a commercial while he's on mute. <laughs> and then we go, come back and Timmy hey, goes, and that's to what tell happened. Him that. No, don't, don't tell him that. Don't give away what we're going to do. But who, uh, were you, um, were you like an Animal House, that kind of thing? Or were you Monty Python or were you yeah. Saturday Night Live or all of the above? Yeah, all of the above. I totally, I, I, I read like um, National Lampoon magazine. Oh, right, was, right, right. Uh, I forgot about y- that. You know. Yeah. And it was all when you would buy them back then, the like especially where I grew up, but I almost always felt like they had they had them by mistake in my <laughs> store where because it was like they had nothing else like that. But they would sell them near the Playboy magazine because they thought they were like because they had nudity. <laughs> and, oh, and so eventually yeah, cartoon like, nudity, right? 
drawings yeah, and, and also like yeah. photos because they had these things called oh. photo funnies wow and they would show they would show titty in it yeah i called them uh, whack-off funnies and, Titty, you mean bosoms or breasts? But yeah, titty, titty breasts. has a playfulness to it. I don't know if it's offensive, but it's kind of like titty. Oh, really? Here's me looking it's through lampoon. Photo funny. <laughs> <laughs> so what? I don't even so look at the then, joke. Boobs. Woo. I'll worry about the comedic purposes later. I want to go back to his childhood. What oh, was your no. favorite okay. meal? Okay. Macaroni and cheese, spaghetti, pizza as a kid. Lane Cuisine. McDonald's. What was a special treat or a special dessert in your house? A special treat, I would have to say, uh, well, I mean, of, of those choices, which, <laughs> I would say macaroni and cheese. Always works. Uh, pizza rolls. No, my, <laughs> my, my earliest memory is like, uh, waking up after waking up from a nap and smelling mm-hmm. chicken being fried in the kitchen oh, sounds like ooh. the beginning of a, a sitcom song or fried some chicken. kind of Tennessee Tyler Williams good play. Time. Yeah, uh, I love good times. <laughs> but, by the way, did you laugh at JJ Walker? I thought good times was hilarious. You know what? I thought JJ Walker was a hack. We could cut anything you want. As a kid, you're really hack. No, I I thought he was funny. I liked him better on the show than when I saw him doing stand up when I was younger. Like yeah. I, I thought he was funnier on the show. Um, I had a bone to pick with him. I'll finish your thought. I have a I had a problem with. JJ, not, not really, but I'm well, playing the Westwood Comedy Store. I'm coming down from uh-huh. San Francisco because George Slaughter saw me up there. I had a good set. I was so green. I was in college. I didn't know anything. I bought a corduroy suit with a corduroy vest. And then I got invited to do a spot at the Westwood Comedy Store. I had a girlfriend at the time with me there. I went up and bombed like, you know, epic. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to get out of box. I did my Star Trek bit, everything. I'm drenched in sweat. It's dead silence. I go over. I'm in a booth. I sit next to the girlfriend at the time, and she scooched away. Whoa. And Ooh. then they said, get J.J. Walker. He, I think he's going to walk the audience. So J.J. went up on stage, turned to me, and said, watch how it's done, young man. Which I don't oh. really blame. I'm not really mad at him at all. But that was, uh, you said J.J. Walker. I got a little triggered. So I'm oh, just going to take five yeah. minutes. Sort of, I'm going to take a cool bath. This happens a lot in the podcast, and I'll be right back. Everyone <laughs> anyway, triggers Dana. So, everything, everything triggers me. So <laughs> that's probably that's probably the only time someone said, "Get me Jim JJ Walker." <laughs> <laughs> that was the last time. He's he's gonna walk the room. He walked the room. Yeah. You don't want to walk me, the room. Get me Jimmy JJ Walker. <laughs> you know, on cameo, if he says dynamite, it's five dollars more. <laughs> right? Is it yeah, worth it? Well. It's worth it, I feel. Uh, I don't know. I have a character, because I wanted to be like Larry the Cable Guy. I think he has that great get her done. Oh, yeah. I have a char- character. I'll just do one line. It's new, but it's intentionally bad. Red Red Necky, okay. the Red Neck Comedian. Okay? I'm Red Red Necky, the Red Neck Comedian. I married my sister only because mama took me down. Come and get some. <laughs> it's the come and get some. Mama said, I, Red, I, what do you want to do? I found it. <laughs> you found it. Mama said, Red, what do you want to do? 
What do you want to do with your life? I said, I just want to live in a shack and drink beer all day. Mama said, don't dream so big because you always end up disappointed. Come and get some. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Come and get some. I got catchphrases. I just don't have the platform. Dude, I, where's Read Through? Did you workshop the, the the catchphrase? That's pretty good. Come and get some. Well, I have this other podcast uh, called Fantastic. My son named it, but I, I kind of hatched it on that. We almost call it Come and Get Some. It's surprisingly, uh, it's positive. It's it's like life. Come and get some. You know, even though what he's saying has no relationship to it. So, you know how the creative process, whatever. Uh, here's another one, Tim. Ready? This is, it's a little undercooked, <laughs> but it's for a... Uh, it would be for read through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say like a joke, like I used to say, bless you when people sneeze. Now I say, oh, fuck, we're all going to die. Rack them. <laughs> Rack them is a good one. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you play pool and you hit the eight ball and you go, Rack them. Yeah. <laughs> so we got well, Rack them. We well, got come uh, and get some. So with Tim- Timothy, Timothy Meadows. Um, yeah. Now there's this section where you You've been influenced. You're dreaming. You're like 18, 19. When do you first kind of say to yourself, I'm going to try this? Or was it a slow process? Yeah. When does it cross your mind to do comedy for For real? real? For real. uh, I was was in college at Wayne State University. Mm -hmm. That checks out. <laughs> I, I did a Wikipedia dive. <laughs> yes. Oh, nice. I says Wayne. Look me up. Yeah. We come prepared on this podcast. I go, not- I know for sure, Tim. Is this? Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're <laughs> you're getting you're in a radio and television program like I was in. You're not in theater at that point, right? Or yeah, both. Yeah. You were doing both. Yeah. I, no, I was doing both. And uh, okay. I was into radio. And I'll tell you a little side story was I really was, Howard Stern was doing his radio show in New York when I was in college. Yeah. And it was one of those things where it was like, can you do something funny like this guy is doing, you know? Yeah. And oh. so I, it, it was like the one way I thought, okay, I could like sneak being funny into being a radio DJ. Um, yeah. And so yep. I, I tried to do that a little bit in college. But then the, I and so that I that did too, what, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. but that that was what I, I kind of wanted. I was like, oh, I can maybe try to be funny, you know, because I was funny yeah. around my culture, friends yeah. and stuff. I mm-hmm. was like the funny dude. Everybody else was like cool or athletic or smart yeah. or whatever. Chicks like um, funny. <laughs> and most and so people that I are funny with their friends get that wake up call when they try it and then they realize they're not. You know, like most people that go yeah. to stand up amateur night and they're like, I'm the funniest guy at the office. You know, when uh, Pat goes into the coffee room and everyone goes. And so <laughs> then they go, I'll just keep it at the office because you don't know my references. But that's where you're breaking through. You're doing it. And then you, you've got a little nugget of something that keeps you around. And they keep yeah. you around, too. So what did you do? I mean, for, with this thought, where where did it evolve to where you got on stage to get laughs? Well, I took these improv classes because I read a, oh. a story about uh, this teacher in Detroit who had studied under Dale Close. The Dale Close. Had, 
I yeah. and I knew Dale Close's name from being a fan of National Lampoon Radio and all that mm-hmm. shit and, and SNL. All that shit. So I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, you know. So I was like, oh, this is like I had a reference to something that you know mm-hmm. not a lot of people had a reference to. Yeah. And so I took classes with this guy Jonathan Round, and um, and then we I I did took his class. He was the first person to kind of go you you're doing something good or whatever. And then he put me into his improv group, basically. And this is in Chicago? In Detroit. Detroit still. Okay. Yeah. Del Close? No, this was uh, Jonathan Round. Okay. He he took, he studied under Del Close. Oh, okay. Del Close is a famous uh, Second City teacher. Improv director. Yeah. Yeah. Considered brilliant at his job. And, And where is he stationed in Chicago? He was. Uh, Jonathan Round was in Detroit. And, Detroit, and but the main Dell Close. So you sort Del of Close like went from JV Chicago. to meet with the real guy? Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. what happened was, I mean, it's, it's a long story. I mean, you can Google it and read. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> this is I, your show. <laughs> I, <laughs> How do I, I mean, I just uh, want just tell us how you're feeling. Like besides the logistics, what are you feeling? Are you, I mean, like you're excited. Uh, I, I think someone, someone said you're good. Someone said you're yes. funny. It's huge. Yes. Yes. And I was, the, and, and so I told, I was telling my friends, my real friends mm-hmm. about it. Like I took these classes and I get on stage and we make stuff up and I'm really funny, you know, and like they like yeah. it and stuff. And then mm-hmm. my friends even started to come and see the shows and stuff, and they validated. They were like, "You're good," you know. So it keeps, it's going up now. <laughs> yeah, it's like whoa. It's going yeah. And so like there was points on stage working with the people that I was working with because we were doing long form improv and we were doing short things and games and singing and mm-hmm. making up stuff, you know, on stage. And there was nothing like that in Detroit. So people would come and see it because there was no other game in town. It was only us. Yeah. And so we have yeah. recurring audiences cool. of people that would come and see our show. And though, and that was where the spark came for me. Mm-hmm. It's like, you, you guys know, like being up on stage and feeling like you cannot do anything wrong. You make the right well, choice by the way. words. You make the right improv, like, oh, you s- nothing you know like it. And, and so, by the way, every, everyone, everyone understands kind of, I'm sorry to interrupt him, but mm-mm. that, that comedy is hard to do stand up, but improv is so fucking hard. And, and people, I think they get it, but that whose line is anyway, doesn't convey how hard it is to think that fast. <laughs> in your feet. I did it for fun with some comedians and I was like, what the fuck is going on? I'm yeah. pretty fast, but I go, it's a whole different muscle. You have to learn. And if you're good at that, you have to be proud because it's, it's hard as shit. You do get, it is like being an athlete, right? That you get acclimated, your brain gets kind of fluid. You know, Robin Williams used to come up, I'd be doing stand-up in San Francisco in the late 70s, he was on Mork and Mindy, and he would just come up on stage and start riffing with me. And he was like Mm -hmm. triple time, you know? I was just Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. but it does make you start to pick up, wake you up, but so go ahead. Your experience though, you became Um, known as- uh, the Chocolate Thunder in Chicago. Was that your nickname? No, that's <laughs> no, a basketball player. Who is that? Was that the Dawkins or Daryl Dawkins? Daryl Dawkins. Yeah, seventy six. I was called the Alabaster Assassin. <laughs> <laughs> I was called Casper the Fruitcake. 
<laughs> I, I thought only Lauren called you that. Can you get Casper the fruitcake in here? Because <laughs> they used to say, you're Lauren's boy. I'm like, he doesn't put me on. I wish he'd hate me. And then I'd be on every week. I, which one's You better? were in his office Lauren every week with a single tear coming down. Lauren doesn't like complainers. No, I made that up. So uh, <laughs> we're starting to develop well, I tried a to, I, I yelled at I yelled at Downey once. What a mistake. Uh, <laughs> Jim Downey, <laughs> Jim guy. Downey, the famous head writer. You yelled at him. I was one of the smartest ahead, people I've ever met. Timmy, in that Go improv, ahead, did, was there a thing you were known for, or a, a hook, or did you start to develop like well, playing that freeze tag? Tim, and Tim's really good at this, or was it just the entire <laughs> structure of all the, the different things? In the beginning, I think I was really, really good at introducing comedic ideas, and then. Uh, and I was also really good at supporting other ideas and adding to it, you know, yeah. without taking away from the person doing it. And so I think people really got the, that people trusted me on stage. Uh, cause I wouldn't, I didn't abandon scenes even if they were failing, right. you know, or undercut um, or all the different childish Shakespearean. Well, if you're a good, that's good team player shit when you can see improv and when they come to snl i think they're pretty good at that because they're just been doing it and uh mm -hmm. stand-ups they always said had a little harder time sharing the spotlight but you sort of figured out like i don't talk at this part well, people, <laughs> <laughs> the I, I think this blob over here says something and then back to me <laughs> have you ever had people say to you oh boy you guys must go crazy on that saturday night live just like saying whatever comes up <laughs> they off think it's all improv i go no, you're out of no your mind. improvisation on saturday night live you you do all the improvisation backstage in writers rooms and riffing and then up there you're locked in unless you're in in one which when we get to your ladies' man character, you had a lot of time with a locked mm. shot. So you could be mm -hmm. a little playful. You could take something in the moment, but not when they're yeah, cutting yeah. around, you know? So, or yeah. when someone else is involved, you don't want to throw them so off. So let's right. just for, we're, um, we're going to take a 20-minute break and start. <laughs> Nobody, uh, <laughs> I just, so. And then I'm going to press record. So you're. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should start soon. Uh-oh. Mm. Whoops! No, it's it's going. We got a recording thing. So this, how many years between this and then you getting on SNL? Uh, uh, you know, how many years were you in the trenches? And was SNL your big? Well, when did you go to Chicago? Are you Chicago yet? I I just get to Chicago. Just get and, to uh, Chicago, yeah, and and get into the improv scene there because Dale Close is actually there teaching. So I started taking his classes. And I oh. start to, I get put on a team. Our team becomes the best team at the club. Um, we're like the second best Herald team in the city, you know, which means nothing to you guys. But it was like a thing in the improv oh, no. community. That's a big deal. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, it, was I a, it was a group yeah. called, we were called Grime and Punishment. And, uh, and then um, I was taking crime, classes. Crime and Punishment? City. Crime and punishment. Crime and punishment. Oh, Come and get some. I was in the Coconut Kids for a while. We didn't go very far. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Hey, was that with Favreau? I didn't know Favreau did improv, to be honest. Yeah, Favreau was there doing that time, too. Oh, um, okay. But yeah, so so I was doing that, and I was taking classes in Second City. This teacher that I had named Jeff Machowski said, I want you to audition for the touring company. 
uh, I auditioned for the touring company, got hired with a whole bunch of people that are now famous people um, like Amy Sedaris, uh, Jane Lynch, um, oh. like who else got hired? Like uh, Stephen Colbert got hired that year. Stephen Colbert? Um, how did he end up doing? Uh, <laughs> let me text him. I'll see if I can do it. <laughs> on speed dial. So was, what, did Farley come around? Did When did Farley appear? Farley or Mike Myers? My first year. Mike mm-hmm. well, Farley came after my first year touring. He was like the, the next year he was auditioning. Oh. And I met Farley like doing doing improv uh, mm-hmm. over at Improv Olympic when I wasn't on the road touring. And so I got to like imp- improvise with him and his team. Um, and then What's he was touring on- mean? Do you literally tour? <laughs> yeah, you tour with the best of Second City show. In a bus so or learn- cars? <laughs> You go all over. You play theaters all over the country. You you like fly oh, somewhere. Really? Oh, okay. You get into they. You rent a van. They drive you. You do a tour of like colleges and small theaters. I didn't know that. And you learn the old classic sketches, and you learn a bunch of different ones. And then as you go along, you change the running order depending on where you are or whatever. And so you get this library of Second City sketches that you learn. And so, and I didn't do theater, so I had no, it was my only training of like, I got to learn this and now say it on, on stage and then repeat it the next night as if it's a fresh idea, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so, so Second City was really my, the theater training that I got. I did, I never did any play. I never did anything else. Me know? neither. It was just stand up. What mo- how much money were you made? How old are you at this point? How much money can you make doing this? Were you just barely was, able to, um, you know? No, I, I like when I was touring, when I was touring, I was, you know, it was pretty decent. I think I was probably making, I'd say for the whole year, like 17000 or something like okay, that. Okay, so you know, after like, tax would be maybe $9,000. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't care. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, you're making a I, modest but, but also, efficient living. Yeah. But I was also doing commercials in Chicago. Oh. So... It was another oh. like lucrative thing. And I actually did, I was modeling. I did some modeling work when I was in Chicago. I am not surprised. <laughs> what? You had the looks. You got the what? looks. The ladies man is the ladies yeah, man. The you're living your best life at this moment. You're young. You're touring. Yeah. You're making money. You're modeling. I mean, you, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's very exciting. There's only that one time of your life. Life is very simple then. It's the world of Tim and you're just man about town. Buying someone jewelry is usually a great experience all around. To get a beautiful gift, Mm -hmm. you get the unforgettable moment of seeing the look on their face when they open it. The tricky part, Dana, as you know, figuring out how to get the perfect piece at the best price. I hate to say it. Price matters. I mean, that's why I recommend for any jewelry purchase. You source it from BlueNile.com. They've been with us for a while. Yeah. Blue Nile offers thousands of independently graded diamonds, David. And find jewelry at prices significantly below traditional retail. They also offer peace of mind with every purchase. Some of their highest quality standards. They have some of the highest quality standards in the industry. Right. And David, whether you want to make a classic statement 
by gifting a white gold tennis bracelet mm-hmm. <laughs> to Sarah Sherman or, <laughs> or, bring out, or bring out her eyes with sapphire and diamond hoop earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts can help you find the perfect gift. David? They're available 24-7 by phone or chat to answer technical questions like, should I make it a diamond cut or a circle? <laughs> Those are the technical questions. <laughs> I know. Uh, oval. They fit your budget. They'll make sure what you want, they can fit in your budget. Yes. It's very difficult to buy jewelry for someone because, um, you know, it's it's a subjective thing. And the, you'll be guided with the, this company is going to help you make the right choice. You give right. them a little information and they'll go, Sapphire. It's hard to roll down to your local strip mall and go, Yeah. We're a jewelry store and we sell trucker hats. It's like, that's yeah. not what you want. Or sometimes they have a small jewelry kiosk inside a Denny's restaurant. And it's like, <laughs> they're flipping hot cakes and I'm trying to find my loved ones. Yeah. So, yeah. No, thank you. You can feel great about your purchase because Blue Nile also offers a diamond price match guarantee. Oh, that's nice. So you can't lose. No, mm-hmm. just in case you got 30 day returns mm-hmm. shop blue nile today and experience the ease and convenience of the original online jeweler go to bluenile.com today that's bluenile.com looking to save on delivery dash bash from doordash is your door to zero dollar delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else dash pass is an exclusive membership with doordash that gets you unlimited zero dollar delivery fees on eligible orders and members only deals and discounts whether it's food from your favorite restaurants, grocery from across town, or anything in between, Dash Pass is the most affordable way to get everything you need delivered right to your door. With $0 delivery fees and lower service fees on eligible orders, Dash Pass makes it easy to save at restaurants, grocery stores, and all your local favorites on DoorDash. Dash Pass pays for itself in two orders on average. Plus, DashPass gives you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, all for $9.99 a month. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Everything was dependent on my looks. That's that was the only problem. <laughs> Lauren said it. He's, he's extremely yeah. good looking. It might get in the way. Um, I don't know. We have a new good looking cast member, so write him could into those we, sketches. Could we put him in a loose suit? He's very very built. We put him in a loose suit. <laughs> he's built. Uh, we don't want to ever show his legs. <laughs> he's always taking his shirt off. When do you get on a call to get on SNL? Do they audition everyone at Second City and then they pluck? Well, they came out and saw Mike Myers like a couple years before they saw me. And I knew Mike back in back then when he was dating uh, or he was living with uh, Robin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then. uh, Oh, that far back. Yeah. And then. um, Okay. They kept coming, and so after that, they started coming out to see Farley. Mm-hmm. Um, and how are you? I was in the cast with Farley. We did three reviews together. Me uh, with that cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Odenkirk was there. Um, all the all the review. all the vo- all the names we keep hearing. Odenkirk, fuck. So they they got you, Odenkirk, and Farley out of there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. For the show. So what year did you come on? Was it 90 or was Farley 90, or 80? 90. February, of, February of 91, I believe and you, it was. And you ended up staying 10 years, according Stay to Wikipedia. 10 years. Which was a record at the time. Fucking A. I was, did uh, you make good money at the end or, or not really in your head? Um, I think I made decent money at the time. I, you know, I, yeah, I thought, I think I made decent money. I don't think I was like, but, I, you know, but again, just like when I started, I had other things going on when I was leaving SNL. So, yeah, you know, I had money coming in from other yeah, you sources. You work nonstop. I was uh, also selling crack uh, at the end of my career. <laughs> just to keep I gave up a vibe. lot of good customers at 30 Rock. You gave up a lot of good customers to do SNL. That's horrible. Well, so you got to get back. Tim, there. you walk. You walked into which I call, I think, kind of one of the most intense times of SNL because you had the leftovers with uh, Phil Hartman and myself and Mike Myers and Dude. so forth. Jam. And then and then you had Dude. Sandler and and yourself and and uh, Rock and Spade and Schneider. So it was. It was intense. So when Dang. I came in, it was like four ca four regular cast members or something. So you I came know. into like a big. So it took you time, I'm assuming, to get the necessary time in front of the audience for them to discover you, and yes. you to get that level of confidence, right? Here was the hurdle when I first started on the show. First of all, uh, you know, for, to both of you guys, you were. I mean, I was fans. You know, I was a fan. And I was a fan of both of you. Like I'd seen both of you guys on the show. I'd seen David do stand up. I had, I was nice. a huge fan and a huge fan of the show. So coming into that cast, man, I swear to God, the first two or three shows, I was just like, I, <laughs> it, it was like a dream. Yeah. And I was like, how, how, what, what is happening? And I swear <laughs> to God, I thought, yeah. They were going to come into the meeting one night, one day, and say, "That dude over there is not supposed to be here." <laughs> you know, he yeah. imposter he sold syndrome. Records, he sold records in, in in Chicago about three years ago. He's not supposed to be in here pitching ideas. <laughs> you're almost happy just watching. You're like, I can't believe I'm an eight H just this close to watching the show. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm supposed to be on it. I have no idea how, but uh, <laughs> it's fun just to be here. I, I, I one time went nine shows without being on anything, but maybe one update. And wow. I, I thought it was unfair. And then my dad goes, who told you it was fair? I go, oh, that's the first time you've seen where, him. That's where I got. That's the first time you saw him since he left you in Phoenix. <laughs> like yeah, 20 years later. Give me a bu who told you it was fair? And then he got in his car and he drove away. Yeah, life's not fair. Wasn't I supposed to stick around? I go, yeah. And he goes, that didn't work out too well. Yeah, and guess I what? Go, that nickname, damn. Cupcake, Fuck. Fruitcake, whatever it is, Casper Fruitcake. <laughs> Get a new moniker, kid. Yeah. Hey, Lauren, good luck with that little puss. <laughs> I bailed. So, uh, oh, so you get on and then you're, you're around all these people and the show is really cooking and all, we had just all kinds of stuff happening. Wayne's world was happening, you know, and Toons is the yeah. cat. And so how did yeah, you yeah. find your, find your place? What was your first little inroad of a character or a sketch that you did where you landed it felt great? Or do you remember the moment where you felt like I'm, I can do this. I'm going to be great on this. Uh, my third show 
was mm-hmm. Alec Baldwin and uh, great comedian. I forgot who the musical guest was that year, but um, I wrote a sketch called Cyrano with me and Alec and Jan, and it was like it the my surprise. It was the first time I had something. It was only my third show, yeah. and Shoemaker or whoever moved it up in the run through for read through. It was like the second Whoa. or third piece. And I was like, holy Reads shit. Is, the placement there is very important too. I didn't even know that for a long time. That's that's yeah, nice. Yeah. The first 10 sketches get the most attention. Well, everyone wilts after two hours. You're wilting. So the first yeah. first hour is very prime for that place. And yeah. also you're like, you're basically following like, who like usually it'll be a Smigel sketch or, or like the first yeah. couple are like strong Here's the monologue. Here's this. And so you get a mm-hmm. feel for like, oh, the show is going to go like Opera this. Man. And so they put you up that high. And so my the Lauren started to read the the stage directions and which was, uh, you know, Tim is dressed as Cyrano and he has a six inch wide nose. And then he fucking belly laugh at the stage direction <laughs> <laughs> and then he looked down at Downey, Downey at the end of the table and Downey was laughing too and they like looked at each other and sort of like nodded oh and, nice like, he kept reading and then we did the whole sketch and the joke of the sketch was that I was Cyrano I spoke for Alec Baldwin <laughs> I gave him love advice while Jan was his the woman he was trying to court but I, I talked like Barry White and I hid behind a bush. How did he um, talk? What did he sound like? What would he say? I mean, he just talked basically like this. Hey, baby. Yeah, you got to <laughs> bend over and let me see that love. You got, you know, whatever it was. I, mean, I didn't remember the line. Uh, I love it. And so, and then, and then Odenkirk gave me a good out, which was because we were doing it like, and it was like, uh, we were doing it. It, it, it flowed. It was funny. And then Odenkirk said, you should be sitting in a chair at the end while they're making love, sort of bored and just reading the paper and talking to her very sexually. you like, and so it's them like kissing and you pan out and you just see me going, yeah, baby. Yeah, I love you. <laughs> God, the out is so important on those things. It's a hilarious. Oh, yeah, I'm still involved. Odenkirk. Oh, hey. Od- Odenkirk gave me that at, uh, the night, you know, Tuesday, that Tuesday night when we were, I was writing because I, I wrote it by myself. Oh. And I also remember this is another fun experience, like interesting experience was that when I, when they, this happened a couple of times when I got something in past read through where it was like being considered for the show and they were mm-hmm. bring, you know, they bring you in and ask you questions. Remember those moments? Oh, yeah. Oh, they go. They come back, Tim. Can you come in? And yeah. you go. Oh, f-. everyone goes. Fuck. Lauren would like to see you in his office. It's always someone with a slight <laughs> Peter Laurie. Lauren would like to see you and talk to you in his office. <laughs> Not there. And they're eating Wally and Josephs. Um, two. I go in there, and he says, he goes. Uh, he asked me who helped me write it, and it just had it had my name in Odenkirk, and I said. You know, he goes, who else? Was there anybody else? And I go, no, I, I wrote it. I wrote it by myself and Bob gave me the out, you know. And he goes, okay, okay, good, thank you. And then they, they let me out. And then another time I got a sketch on, he, he it was I wrote it by myself and he brought me in. And he goes like, who helped you write the sketch? 
I'm like, Tim, who no. sent you this? I, I wrote it by myself. <laughs> and then he goes, do you, you know, he was like, do you mind if Tom Davis uh, watches it and works with you on it? I was like, That's yeah. what he was getting at. Like he likes someone to watch pair. it. He loves the writer with the comedian, you know. Well, yeah, because yeah. the audience should know that you're on stage doing it. And if you wrote it, someone has to be in the booth kind of directing and saying, right. which is hard because it's really your eyes and ears, what you would want. Mm -hmm. So yeah. they're just trying to, oh, I, they need someone more experienced. Yeah. I think to, and that's, to watch that's really what it was too. It was like, I think he just wanted to know, like, you know, if any, if I had talked to anybody about the sketch that I might want to have them come in, help me with it. Okay. And if not, then he was going to sign somebody. Yeah. And, and I remember one time Tom Davis was like, you know, he was like, who wants to help him? Or <laughs> like, oh, who wants to help Timmy with this sketch? And Tom is like, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> that burnout. Um, what about one time Lauren brought me in and he goes, David, who helped you read the cue cards? And I go, I read them. That's all. Dana. <laughs> the thing he goes, I guess he can read, Franken. <laughs> Could you do something with Casper Cupcake? Because I don't know if it's going to happen. <laughs> Casper, the unlikable cupcake. The cupcake. I know you're the alabaster assassin and it's a wonderful thing, but could you uh, please, fuck. Marcy? <laughs> By the way, I have to give Timmy, it's hard to write a sketch. And uh, maybe because you were in Second City, you're better at it. But it took me, my, I wrote a sketch for Lovitz called the puffer fish where he got, he was a scientist, but he got mad. He turned into a puffer fish. He'd pop out, you know, That's perfect and, um, for John. And it was, and he goes, yeah, write it. You know? Cause I was like, it was like my first four uh, shows before we went to summer. I got, I got picked up for four and then it was over mm -hmm. just to see if I had any game, which we found out I did not. And so I go, John, he goes, that's a great idea. And I go, it is. It wasn't that good. He goes, right. He gave me no help because I probably had seven sets. It was probably 28 pages. And uh, uh, read through the, I think Shoemaker went, is this your piece of shit? I go, yeah. And he goes, can we chop it down to about 20? I mean, I didn't know. I'm like, Jeez. and he goes, I, I think there's too many sets. I'm like, well, if anyone would tell me anything. All I'm used to is writing stand-up. So I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And they go, well, there's too much to fix here, but too much to good luck fix. with it. <laughs> it's a hopeless cause, but we appreciate that you put pen to paper. Uh, and Dennis <laughs> goes, Spud, if, if, if Spudley, if you and Schneider don't get anything on in these four shows, I think it's curtains. Okay, six. I mean, they'll send you. They'll send you back on a greyhound out of here. Okay, you're not even going to be can, flying can, southwest. Can you write me some update jokes? I mean, get off your ass. You got nothing in the show. Maybe slip them under my door if you don't want to talk to me. <laughs> I go, I'll write him. One time, I told Dennis I had turned down this commercial for a lot of money. Christ sakes, Carvey, this business will eat you up and spit you out. Nobody cares, okay? It's all about <laughs> securing rectangular greenbacks. He, <laughs> he was right, and I regretted not uh, doing that commercial. He'd get the new writers. Write me some update jokes before you get two in the mix here. I remember my, 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 uh, my first week on this show, too, uh, watching Dennis Miller in the rewrite room on a Thursday night, coming into the room. <laughs> so and funny. Fucking tear everybody uh, fucking ass new fucking hole. Yeah. He went That's hilarious. The room and yes. said an insult to every fucking writer and actor that was in the room. He spared me too, because I think he even went, Damn, you're new. I'm not going to fucking uh, 
I'll give you a pass today, to kid. Or something and, like that. I know. One yeah, time, but you guys, were, goes, I saw him do that once, and everyone was laughing so hard. I don't. I, I Farley almost just <laughs> fell down. They're not buying yeah, the fat guy thing, okay, Chrissy? You know, like, fat guy falls down. Anything else? Rock, you're no, you're no Eddie. Did he say to Chris Rock, "You're no Eddie"? I mean, it's like he goes, "Rock." I think he goes, "Rock, you're the angry black guy." Meadows, you're not even angry. You're just a black guy. You're the nice one. Where's that going to get you? Then he goes, "Spade, nothing." He looks around. Schneider, cop machine. Now it's over. You're flatlining. They're, they're, they're not buying the duba duba guy. Not Whatever. Buying this guy. Sakes, tell some jokes. What are you doing up there? All right. You're embarrassing like, your damn. family. Okay. We all embarrassing we all get your taken family. Down, like, You're embarrassing your entire neighborhood. Okay. <laughs> and then he would walk out of the room, man. Yeah, because he didn't have to be at the thing. meeting. And then he'd have a mouthwash just, spray, and he'd be like in a, a suit. You know, the cat and I are going to go catch uh, the king and I downtown at the Orpheum. <laughs> and his hair was all squat. We're all sweaty and greased up. We got staples in our head. We got to stay till midnight, do the read throw. He's going to hit Orso with Al Baldwin. Yeah, Christ uh, sakes, the man. risotto, Carvey, to die for. Oh, wait, I had a question for fucking Timmy. Well, Hang I want to get to a lot of oh, things. okay, like, if you, on the new SNL, you were there longer than me, but obviously it's evolving, but you played someone like Erica Badu and said the only Now, would you present day be able to play a female? Ooh, that's a good question, man. They definitely do women playing men. They do women playing men all the time now. Yeah. I oh, yeah. I think, I think Kate I think, Mc... I think if it was a... I don't think I would do it if it's an impression. I think if it was an, a character, like me just being this, a woman, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like I the coffee that, talk lady. I would... Yeah. I, I, oh, I, I coffee don't even talk, know what yeah. it's like. I don't even know what it's like now. You know what I mean? Like what... What do people? I don't know the rules. Yeah, it's just yeah. Like, I just started back doing stand up like a few weeks ago, man. And I'm telling you, it's been fun, but it's just been like, what the fuck? Like, I, I'm guessing <laughs> myself before I say things. Yeah, you know? it's scary. You say the wrong thing, it's over. Right. Yeah. There's so many big words and little words for everybody, and figures of speech. You don't know if that's gonna be a problem. You know, I mean, even in 2015, when I look back what I was doing, I'm doing Chinese accents. I'm doing all kinds. I've just distilled it. Now I can do Russian and I can do French, British, but that's about it. You know, I just had the table. You know, I was doing Indian accents. I was doing the cook by cardiologist. Oh, we know. That stuff. And I just think I'm killing, you know, I mean, there were no rules and then it just shifted. You were killing. So I lost 70% of my act in 45 days. But have you seen that movies, the only bad guys allowed now are Russians or- Russians. A made up Russian country or aliens. Alien. That's yeah. why superhero movies do good. Oh, this crazy planet of Asians, Asian let aliens. Me, no, me, no, no, no. What, what, what do you want? <laughs> what I want to, what I want to do to you is I want to kill you. See, that is just a general yeah. accent, right? General, it's Eastern over there. European. It could be Romania. Yeah. What do you want? I kill yeah. you now with the gun, and you are good luck. Good luck. You don't Mr. even have to be good at the accent. 
No, just something like this. It's better if you're not, they can't pit, pin it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going to kill you. Someday I will kill you, but not now, because I want you to think <laughs> about me putting bullet in your head. At some point in future, <laughs> you hear footsteps. You look outside. Maybe you have snow cone. One eye, you're blind. <laughs> bullet come from other side, lights out. But I love you. It's a real <laughs> snow cone. So I want to get to Tim's. Uh, this is a. Dana, you kill me, man. Holy. Uh, well, you're making me funnier today, Tim, because you're such a great audience. He's a good Sometimes audience. Sometimes these too. podcasts are laughs. pretty, pretty grim. We've done a few of them. They get pretty grim. I'll tell you that much. Hey, Fidelity. Can I get a second opinion on stocks in the Fidelity app? With Fidelity, it's easy to get an outside opinion from independent experts in a single score. And then? When you're ready, trade U.S. stocks and ETFs with no commissions. That's right. I am always right. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity account. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know how home shopping can be, and that can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you actually do need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? Good question. What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Maybe it is. Why can't it? Guess what? It is. Now it is on homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better, hold on, they've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listing and sales history. Wow. That sounds good. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information. All at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. So Tim, throughout the your years on SNL, he does Coneheads, It's Pat Wins World Two. Yeah. So that you're in the movies, uh, you do Bench Warmers, which is one of those fun and Mean Girls. You are hysterical bench as warmer. the principal. And then I don't want to jump over anything, but then of course you have this uh, one of the few sketches that becomes a mo- a feature film. And what I notice. Your evolution, I left the show, or I maybe it hosted it, I came back, or I watched it, and I saw you on Ladies Man. I don't know which episode it was, but I just saw mm-hmm. this, like, like the confidence in the, in the audience loving you. It just went like that, just snapped. I mean, it yeah. went to another level. I was like, whoa. So, what, when, how yeah. did that evolve, and when did you go, I'm onto a killer, a killer reoccurring character, which is so fun on SNL? And who brings up a movie? I well, so I um, I did. I mean, I think I got more comfortable naturally as as the seasons went on. Me, me I too. By the season way, season where David and I and Normie were still there. You know mm-hmm. that year. <laughs> yeah, I think that. Yeah, was that year. like crossover year five yeah, six something like think, that ninety five. Yeah. yeah, my six. Yeah. That was the year that I kind of felt like, okay, I I already know how to show words. I know mm-hmm. how to write. I just got to be more comfortable and have more fun on camera. I mean, I, I just started to relax, really. 
And then Ladies Man just it was just a that was an easy character for me to 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 do because I had been doing it for a long time, but I didn't tell people about it. Because mm-hmm. I, I used to do it to make fake phone phone calls. I used to use it as a voice, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I told a couple of writers um, about it, and they came up with the ladies' man idea. And and they would ask me questions, and and I would just answer you doing that voice about you know mm-hmm. relationship questions or problems or whatever. And then it just clicked, man. I, I was like, even when I do it now, if I feel like doing it or people talk to me or, or in interviews, like it is like, you know, like with any of the things you do is like, you just know that person, you know how the character talks, you know what it would say. It's musical. It, it The 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 way it's say Cavassier, it's it's very hypnotic and musical, Yeah, you know, and and so it was operating on a lot of different levels as far as just yeah. entertainment and funny. And so it, it, the, the minute we did it, we knew that people liked it. I mean, it got laughs and, and then just we got letters. It was like the only time I really got like, you know, like a, a lot of fan mail. Based <laughs> oh, on go by character. that mailbox. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that was Dana had a lot of they that. liked it. Um, and then the whole thing of the movie came up with Lauren. Lauren brought it, brought up Assis, uh, me and uh, uh, Parker. Uh, no, I wrote it with um, Harper Steele, who is uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and um, Dennis McNicholas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, they created the character. And then, yeah, Lauren asked us if we'd be interested in writing a script, first of all. That mm-hmm. was it. He was like, do, do you think you can make this into a movie? And the three of us were like, not really. <laughs> no, I mean that's funny. We think that it would be fun, but we we were like we didn't think it was like a big enough hit that we would make a, it should be a movie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like just business wise, we were like, well, and then he told us to think it over, and then the three of us talked about it, and we started just coming up with like, well, what if we did this? We haven't told a backstory. We haven't told what his life is like, or what his work life is like, yeah. or put him on an adventure or anything like that. And then we said, yeah, okay, we'll try it. And then we wrote a script. We had a read through. Uh, they liked it. And then they were like, we'll give you the minimum amount of money to make it. Uh, and then was it Paramount? It was Paramount, yeah. Yeah. Be Lauren's deal. Yeah. Lauren had a deal, Paramount. I believe so. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that was how it, it was. And, and it was really a great experience you know it, I, I i don't regret that movie at all like people still to this day know the character they know the movie like when i'm yeah. traveling or whatever um and people like it i mean pe- nobody ever is like you Angry. know i think <laughs> yeah. that character was disgusting or whatever you know and it just um, travels you know it just travels yeah, throughout you know what the, the thing is yeah dana like i was saying to you about the jor the uh Biden impression is that mm-hmm. it's something that people can do. Like you gave them a hook. Yeah. Right. And then ladies yeah. man is the same way. Like people know it and it gives them a hook into a way to talk or to do the character. Or That's whatever. like the funnest thing to get on SNL. You get one of those. Uh, rhythmic yeah. catchphrase. This made me laugh, Timmy, and I don't know where this came from, but it was on the Wikipedia page about Leon Phelps, the ladies man. 
and it said, mm-hmm. the, describing the character, he believed he was the living definition of what women search for in a man. And that's the classic <laughs> cocky idiot. Like, he was so fucking confident that no woman idiot. could ever resist yeah. him. And the confidence he had is always really fun to watch just a crazy yeah. confident character who is kind of clueless in a way <laughs> about yeah. his own. So the character, yeah, I can see that being kind of have a following as people see it over time. Yeah. You know? You know, that and that that attitude is a lot I I would like say I as like stove from, you know, or like I think of Bill Murray and doing uh Caddyshack, like mm-hmm. that attitude of like he's superior to everybody right. in the movie. Yes. He's the smartest guy in the movie. Yeah. You know. And, and, and so when he's his, you trust his riffing, you know, you know, it's going to get you somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel I, I kind of have that attitude when I'm doing Leon Phelps, like he's the smartest yeah. dude in the room. Can't make any mistakes. Doesn't, he doesn't know if he's offending you. Doesn't care if he's offending you. That's why, so. it, you know, it's so much fun to play a character like that. Cause it's hard to go through life actually like that, you know? Yes. But yeah. uh, um, one thing that I, I don't know, this sort of dovetails, but I remember we were doing a benefit for Robert Smigel for autism and kind of sharing a dressing room. And we just got to start talking about stand up as a baseline for a career. Like, and I always tell everyone I told Lovitz, anybody who's a Second City improv player who's funny, mm-hmm. who wants to put together an act, they have all the tools to do it because they already, if you can score an SNL, you could do it. So I don't know if. That you began, but then you you develop yourself as a stand up comic, and you've been doing it pretty consistently here and there. And we mm-hmm. did that crazy show in Laughlin, Nevada. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! Just a just as far as the circumstance, there's so that's a that's a movie in itself. But it's David. It's five in the afternoon or something in an empty stadium with high high winds and bright sun in your face. Outside, outside. always, and daytime is a killer. Yeah, it may have been yeah. dust, but and it the was, last it was, just goes straight up in the air. Yeah, yeah. Was, and when there's bright out, you don't even look any. You look anywhere but the stage, and I hate seeing the people because as many laughs as you get, you always connect eyes with someone going. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, are you even listening to what? I, and and you think you're killing, and you always find someone that goes, oh no, you're not. Well, for me, I all in my head. T- Tim is over in the in the uh, on the, wings. the wings, and I'm up there. I'm going. I am so awkward. I'm so bad right now. I don't even care. This is the worst set I've ever done. And I look over and I see Tim, and uh, mm-hmm. it just was. It kept thinking, what does he think? <laughs> this is. I don't want to bomb in front of this SNL guy. I know, horrible. Does, horrible. Knows how to Gross do this, feeling. but it was just one of those nights. You just get the check, and we walked away. Yeah, you gave me a ride back to the city too. Yeah, I love. We had a great time. Yeah, because we don't get to spend that much time together. Where it's like we had a couple hours to just talk and stuff and chill. You know, so that was that was the highlight of that for me. Oh, oh, totally! I was so thrilled that you you took the ride with me because I I love comedians. I love talking to them, and part of the reason we're doing this is because too many years go by because we're all just busy just doing shit and you never hang out even if you went to a dinner at a restaurant they're playing loud music it's still 
you, you know, you just want to, like, I know a lot more about you right now than I did. And I knew a lot, man. I knew a lot. <laughs> I'm a, Marcy! Uh, Marcy Klein, we'd love to have her as a guest. Um, so you, you've just gone on, you, your resume is huge. You're, you, you work, you're, you're doing stuff. I always see your name popping up. You're doing this series, you're doing this, you're doing that. So how are you feeling yeah. now? Just in the, just doing a lot, coming back to stand up now? Um, yeah, I'm just coming back to doing it now. Um, I've done a couple gigs some with Lovitz. we got it in uh, Catan and uh, Hello. Mitchell. Yeah. Um, we had, we did a tour a few years ago with Spain and Rob and uh, Sandler took us out, which was really fun. fun. Yeah, I can imagine. Highlight. Playing for that crowd. Um, <laughs> highlight. Was understatement. I also was, and it was fun to see every. I mean, everybody's so good, and I I was the least experienced of everybody on that tour. Mm-hmm. So it was really fun for me to like. I came out first, like after Snyder, you know, introduced the gig, emceeing it, and so right. it was. You know, I, I'd come out and I had a lot of um, goodwill from the audience, you know, so I felt oh, comfortable yeah. and yeah. stuff. And, and then they were excited the to see us all together. On, yeah, man, it was just so much fun to like watch everybody and, you know, rest in peace, Norm. I enjoyed watching him. Love Norm. Just do his shit every night. He always yeah. did something different. He he was one yeah. one of a kind. I mean, it's so brilliant. Yeah, you know, man. Yeah. It, it it does seem that it comes down to at least for me. Like it took me, I'd say eighty. 80 to 100 shows to get where you were talking about relaxed having fun mm-hmm. in a situation mm-hmm. that should you shouldn't be allowed to do that and live performance and stand up too it's so much uh just internally enjoying it and being relaxed and not needy and also just clarity uh you know i've been doing yeah, some yeah. open mics with my kids and stuff and most open micers they just the audience just misses it like what are you trying to say? So just the clarity of the setup, and then actually they can see you're enjoying yourself. But the main thing is, you know, mm-hmm. try not to try is very difficult. But once you get confident doing it, then it becomes electrifyingly fun when you're kind of like, yeah. I got this, folks. You know, I noticed the SNL thing, but let me ask you guys this, and you can cut it out if you want. But like, when you, how do we, how do you get into, like, I know writing new material, like, do you, take ideas that you have and then just expand on them on stage? Or do you like completely think out the idea before you get on stage and do it? David, I'll let you take that one. Um, I do. I take, I think what I want to say, and I hope I have enough of a germ and maybe an out, Mm -hmm. but it's always undercooked. And then I do it. And then if I, and then I trim out the fat. Sometimes I'll tape it, we type it out, and then I'll look at it and go, I don't need that, I don't need that. Mm-hmm. And then it gets a little tighter. And once it actually gets into my act on a consistent basis, I try to riff on it. But I sort of have to get it to memorize the way it works. Yeah. And then I can screw around with it. But, okay. uh, but, but finding it is tough. And you almost have to tape because – you say one thing you like and the rest of my act, I'm trying to remember that one line to remember. Mm-hmm. And I just, if I don't tape it or anything, and I hate listening to myself. So it's a real horrible. Yeah. yeah the only things. thing I could add to that is what I told Lovitz is just don't be in a hurry to, to get through a bit. Like say you have a bit now that works, whatever the topic, mm-hmm. there's always more. 
and just stay there. You know, I always try to remind mm -hmm. myself sometimes, don't be in a hurry, just stay there. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I like to do is find a 20-seater. I don't know what the number is, but I'd say 20-seater. And then just mm -hmm. bring up your yellow pad with just ideas you've had and tell the audience you're doing that. I call it podcast stand-up. Yeah. Here's an idea I had. I don't even know if this is funny. And then you're automatically, they're on your side. That seems to be a really good way to develop material. Once you're out there in front of a packed house and everything, it's way too late. Something will but work. But a 20-seater uh, where you just got the yellow pad, they know you're just fucking around. Um, right. You know, I think of lines all the time. And then George Carlin always said, write everything down. Because writing happens mm -hmm. when you're when you're going to a movie or you're hanging out or you're yeah. having a... <laughs> it's not when you're trying to and write. just write every single tiny mm -hmm. thing down. Uh, that would be the method I use. I'm sure you use variations of what David and I just said. Yeah, right? I do that too. I like I'll write notes down and then I go back and look at it and, and think about, well, what was the original thought that made me laugh that I wrote this yeah. down? Yeah. Um, and the thing I've been doing now, like I'm, gonna, I'm in Chicago, so I'm going to try to do some open mics tonight i'm gonna do zanies tomorrow uh what i've been trying to do is like uh colin gave me this advice which is couching it the new shit between two bits that i already know yeah. works yeah and then like you were saying dana like give yourself time in that bit like okay here's the new thing i'm working on it's probably gonna die i don't know what, what it is but even if it fails and i got this other thing yeah That'll get, get I mean, you, you back. You could look at Ch uh, yeah, Chappelle, yeah. Uh, even Chappelle five years ago or whatever. He was never in a hurry, you know, to get through things. Mm -hmm. And when you're young and kind of scared, you just want to roll right through it. As I've gotten older, more mm -hmm. confident, I go, I'm just going to sit with this idea now. And not when the, 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 I call it the second voice that's giving you a real time report card. When that mm -hmm. just shut that up and it's all tied into the same thing, having fun and confidence. I'd say confidence and where it comes from, how it happens is somewhat mm -hmm. mysterious. But when you have it, mm -hmm. the idea is I'm Tid Meadows. Get the fuck out of my way. It goes back to the Detroit guy. I'm coming on mm -hmm. stage for you motherfuckers. <laughs> and guess what? I'm the shit. I'm fucking funny and I'm really smart. I may be, I may, down your I may be kind of too handsome for a stand-up. Don't let that get in your way, you bitches. But that, that's the thing tonight when you go, just, I'm Tim Meadows, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Dana, you're the best, man. Thanks, David. Thank you. Timmy, it's great talking to you. I miss you. I will see you soon. And thanks for blabbing with us. Hey, what's up, flies? What's up, fleas? What's up, people that listen? We want to hear from you and your dumb questions. Questions, ask us anything. Anything you want. You can email us at flyonthewall at cadence13.com. This is, hello, David and Dana. My name is Rob, and I'm from Belgium. Belgium, nice. We are blowing up in Belgium, Dana. Love your waffles, okay. I can't step foot in Bulgaria. We're too big. Okay. Big fan of the podcast. Question is, uh, both of you, what do you consider to be the other's most under and overrated impression? <laughs> That's from Robin Ritson. Uh, <laughs> I'd wow. say your most well, underrated not... is Michael J. Yeah. Fox from Casualties of War. Oh, yeah. That's, That's your most underrated. One. Yeah, I'm not a big impression guy, and so... This question is probably more for you, but Michael J. Fox, I had a lot of pride in, and I think it helped me get on SNL. 
uh, I, I tricked them into thinking I was like Rich Little because I had one impression. I also did Tom Petty, but on yeah, the show the you yeah. you get a lot of um, you get assigned. You're Dave Perner from Soul Asylum. I did Kurt Cobain, did Brad Pitt. There's a bunch of those where you get assigned every week, so they're not that great, uh, but they're just more looks, you know. And then Dana would get really into them. So if I said Dana's, I would say uh, I, I like uh, pretty much all his. I don't think any of them are really overrated. I, I do mm. like when you do Continue. a Ross Perot or a George Bush where – it's something I don't even know if they really said. Maybe they said it once and you run with it. Like there's a Ross Pro where you go, let me tell it to you one time. What does he say? Something yeah, like can that. I, can I finish one time? That's yeah, like so a James maybe, Brown uh, yeah, influence. That's right. Can I finish one so time? So maybe, you know, when I was just doing a, a walk-in impression for Dana a little bit ago, I said, uh, I talk about a mouse and I go, he's smart. The smart, you know? So if you can find one little tiny thing that sounds like him, that's fun. But Dana's are all underrated and they're all good. And he finds these little one lines and little hooks. So that's the hard part. Even if Trump or any of these guys didn't say that or not going to do it kind of got crazy with George Bush. Uh, it, it's such a great hook and it sounds like the person that the actual person almost needs to say those things now to sound like them because it's so famous. It's more famous than the actual person. Yeah, and there's two ways to look at an impression, like abject accuracy, like, oh my God, it's like a tape recorder. That's perfect. And then there's something that's more of an abstraction and funny and takes liberties. And so um, maybe I just get bored, but I do like to extend them and make them into one oh, yeah. sound like Trump. Well, that's, that's why it works. <laughs> but that's why it works, especially in SNL because crowds are waiting for something and if you do just a perfect impression, it doesn't always pay off. I think it's always nice when a host comes in and they have something secret in their grab bag and they can do an impression. So you write a whole sketch around it when they get to theirs. It's always shocking. They can do one yeah. and it gets a big uh, applause. It usually. still is. a. a is, it's almost like magic to me, though, when someone like Frank Caliendo can sound exactly like Morgan Freeman, like eerily. So I love impressions of all stripes. Fly on the Wall has been a presentation of Cadence 13. Please listen, then rate, review, and follow all episodes. Executive produced by Dana Carvey and David Spade, Chris Corcoran of Cadence 13, and Charlie Finan of Brillstein Entertainment. Production and engineering led by Greg Holtzman, Richard Cook, Serena Regan, and Chris Basil of Cadence 13. <laughs>